This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The great strength of our order lies in its concealment. Let it never appear in any place in its own name, but always covered by another name and another occupation. A quote from the founder of the Illuminati. It goes almost without saying that the history of man is filled with secrets, along with the groups that kept them. These groups, or secret societies, have spanned across centuries and in all parts of the world. They have claimed to know hidden truths far exceeding man's comprehensions. People became obsessed with these societies, their clandestined operations, ancient rites, and of course, their true intentions. It's from many of these societies that much of our modern conspiracy theories were born. Yet there's one order who has reigned supreme over all other secret societies. To this day, Only one group sits atop the pyramid, supposedly overseeing all other orders with sinister intent. Officially, this secret society died early in its infancy. Yet the mythology it built and the fear it instilled in many has kept it alive for over 300 years. This group is considered the boogeyman of the conspiracy world, the puppet masters to all that is wrong with the world, the harbingers of a new and sinister world order. They are the Illuminati. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and groups. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory 
or on our website, parcast.com. While neither of us are conspiracy theorists, we find the mythology behind conspiracy theories fascinating. The stories within them, how they are formed, and where they come from. We are open-minded to possible theories. Still, we're skeptical as well as curious. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes there's more going on than meets the eye. Today, we'll talk about the granddaddy of all conspiracy theory groups, the Illuminati. Oh, I've been pretty excited about this one, Molly. Me too. Even if you're not familiar with the conspiracy theories surrounding them, or secret societies in general, just about everyone knows the name Illuminati. Indeed. It seems like the Illuminati and their imagery are everywhere. Then again, maybe that's on purpose. Okay, Carter. But you are right. The Illuminati have become a staple of not just conspiracy culture, but pop culture as well. They're referenced in movies, TV shows, even music and food. Of course, depending on who you talk to, this is all part of their master plan to control us. And if these theories carry any weight whatsoever, the Illuminati are the most dangerous secret society to date. No kidding. If you delve into conspiracy theories, it seems no matter where you go, the Illuminati return as the primary cause. People give them credit for everything. Assassinations, disasters, restrictive government law, international corruption, even messages in music and movies. You literally can't escape the Illuminati. While you may think we're exaggerating, we'll later show how the Illuminati have basically become an umbrella from which nearly all conspiracy theories are linked. First, though, we should talk about who exactly the Illuminati are. Where did they come from? And more importantly, what do they want? That's right. Today's show will be dedicated to the history of the Illuminati, or at least the real Illuminati that existed in Bavaria, Germany in the late 18th century. You'll notice that today's episode sounds a little different than a typical episode of conspiracy theories. When researching theories on the Illuminati, we felt it was crucial to understand how the Illuminati came into being in order to properly understand their conspiracy theories. In this episode, we'll cover the formation and history of the Illuminati, and next week, we'll discuss conspiracy theories regarding a shadowy modern-day Illuminati controlling the world from behind the scenes. We feel it is important to understand where the theories come from, but if you're just interested in the theories, feel free to listen to the next episode. Next week, we'll talk about some of the conspiracy theories associated, their involvement in steering historical events, their modern members and ties to the 13 bloodlines, and their role as leaders in the New World Order conspiracy. Along the way, we'll also look at how the Illuminati have evolved into the conspiracy boogeymen we know today. Again, we'd like to remind you that we aren't pushing any of these theories as fact. Exactly. We're merely delving into the historical records and claims in the hopes of finding out the truth between the lines. So, without further ado, let's dig into the Illuminati. The birth of the Illuminati, and really the notion of conspiracy theories, starts in a time of great social and political change, the Aufklärung, a.k.a. The Enlightenment. 
The Enlightenment was a period of great upheaval in Europe. Known as the Long Century by some historians, it lasted from 1685 to 1815. But why was it long, and what was the big upheaval about? Well, the Enlightenment was no simple matter. As a whole, it was a movement that redefined Western ideology and shaped much of the world we know today. It focused on ideas of rational thinking, personal morality, and observations of the natural world. Religion had been the cornerstone and backbone from which the body of society was created. Now it was being scrutinized. Philosophers like Thomas Hobbes, René Descartes, and Francis Bacon questioned what religion's impact was on the world and human race. Scientists like Galileo, Kepler, and Leibniz also played a hand thanks to their discoveries in astronomy, mathematics, and physics, like how our sun was the true center of our solar system. These notions, along with evidence to back them up, challenged the established order. And though some like Galileo were arrested and punished, their quote-unquote damage to the system had already been done. The Enlightenment had begun. So for the next 130 years, philosophers, scientists, and artists alike worked to reshape Western views. Though there was no single movement behind the Enlightenment, the goal was universally the same. Seek truth through rational thinking and nature. This goal continued to grow. And from 1730 to 1780, the era of high enlightenment reigned. Much of this enlightenment period was centered around the teachings of French philosophers, or philosophes as they were called, like Voltaire, Rousseau, Montesquieu, Buffon, and Diderot. To quote Voltaire, it was a time filled with the chaos of clear ideas. Much of the universe was on track to be demystified by these and other thinkers of the time. This was especially true in Germany. Germany and its electorates were very much swept up in the era. It was a time of great national pride, thanks to the accomplishments of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe and Friedrich Schiller. Both had started literary and classical movements that expressed German cultural identity and language. It was also the rise of German symphony music, with musicians like Johann Bach, Joseph Haydn, and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Newspapers, coffee houses, and literary salons all were new innovations that touted these Enlightenment philosophies, this type of thinking that wasn't appreciated by the church. As mentioned earlier, much of the power in the world, and Europe especially, was in the church, more specifically Catholicism. The church viewed some, if not all, of this free thinking as heresy and treated those who preached it as blasphemous. This drove many philosophers away from organized religion and brought about the birth of deism and atheism. Though people still sought a way to have religion or faith in something, people needed truth, yet despised the old and restrictive ways. Thus, a new form of social organization was born. Enter. The secret societies. Secret societies, such as the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians, had grown in popularity over the years. Most, if not all of them, were entirely fraternal. No girls allowed, basically. The idea behind most of these was to create a safe place where like-minded individuals could commune in peace and promote their shared ideals. As a means of gaining members and popularity, 
These societies spread rumors about their secret origins. For example, the Freemasons and Rosicrucians both claimed they had secret knowledge of how the universe was started and man's role to play on Earth. In Germany, as well as the rest of Europe at the time, the most popular secret society was the Freemasons. The Freemasons are a fraternal organization based off of 13th century stonecutters and masons. While its exact founding is ambiguous, the earliest account of the Freemasons' founding dates back to the formation of the Grand Lodge of England in 1717. Though evidence suggests that Freemasonry and its rituals began around the 16th century in Scotland before moving across the continent in the 18th. Some even say the society may have even gone as far back as the Middle Ages. The group held secret meetings in groups called lodges. Lodges were both the name of the location they met at and the basic group unit for the Freemasons. Lodge membership varied from each group, but each lodge was controlled by a master. This master conducted the meetings as well as the sacred rituals practiced within the lodge. Lodges were also separated by different levels. Blue lodges were the lowest levels and where initiates had to go through the first three levels of Freemasons. After that, the members could move on to higher level lodges, often named after the unique rituals they practiced. Uh, think of the levels of the Blue Lodge as the introductory course to the Freemasons. After you passed, you could study whatever you wanted about the order. The purpose of the Freemasons was not unlike other fraternal groups, to support like-minded individuals. These individuals were usually craftsmen of some kind, but as the years went on, the order expanded to various members of middle and high society. The group would meet in secret to practice their ancient rites and ceremonies before going over the group's itinerary for future events, paying dues, etc. Standard club affairs, really. Sounds like the Freemasons were just like any other club. In many ways, they were, but their popularity was in part due to their secrecy. The Grand Lodges and other lodges to follow prided themselves on their secret symbols and ancient knowledge. Only certain people were allowed to join, depending on the lodge. Once inside, the Freemasons touted many Enlightenment ideas such as separation of church and state, compassion and morality through human interaction and nature, and exploration via rational thinking. Many famous historical figures were members, including Diderot, Montesquieu, Voltaire, Lessing, Mozart, even Ben Franklin, and George Washington. I think you can start to see how big the Enlightenment was and its effect on everything at the time. But how do the Enlightenment and Freemasons affect the Illuminati? Funny you should ask. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Now the story continues. As the Enlightenment and Freemasons grew in popularity during the late 18th century, a young man named Adam Weishaupt, the eventual founder of the Illuminati, continued to grow disenfranchised by the world around him. Adam Weishaupt was a young professor of canon law at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria in 1776. Born February 6, 1748, Weishaupt had grown up through the Enlightenment period and fell in love with many of its ideas. Originally from a Jewish family, he was raised by his Protestant godfather, Johann Adam Freyer von Ickstadt, after Weishaupt's father died when he was five years old. There is still much confusion surrounding Ickstadt. Some say he was Weishaupt's grandfather who changed his name after renouncing Judaism. Others say he was solely Weishaupt's godfather. Regardless of the case, Ickstadt had a profound effect on little Adam Weishaupt. Considered a radical, Ickstadt was a strong proponent of spreading Enlightenment ideas throughout Bavaria. As a professor at the University of Ingolstadt, He fought against clerical rule and used his private library as a teaching tool to introduce Weishaupt to the ideas of Voltaire and Rousseau. Weishaupt was no more than four or five at the time. In addition to Ickstadt's tutelage, Weishaupt began Jesuit school at age seven. The Jesuits are an order of Roman Catholic monks known for their ministry and education. They run schools at all levels, all over the world. While at his Jesuit school, Weishaupt often got in trouble by speaking out for the Enlightenment's radical ideas of freedom and love. This, of course, didn't sit well with many of his teachers and other officials. At this time, Bavaria was highly controlled by Catholic Jesuits who sought to stamp out Protestantism, which Ickstadt was a part of. Eventually, Weishaupt went to college at the University of Ingolstadt, where Ickstadt had been the curator until his death in August of 1776. There, Weishaupt studied law, along with classical religion, Eleusinian rites, that is, ancient Greek rites and rituals, Mithrian mysteries pertaining to the Roman cult of Mithras and the works of Pythagoras, You can see he had a clear interest in ritual and mythology. He also converted from Judaism to Protestantism, much like Ickstadt. Weishaupt graduated from Ingolstadt in 1768 and later became a professor of canon law there in 1772. He was 24 years old at the time. Uh, Can you remind me, what's canon law again? Canon law is a set of ordinances and regulations made by ecclesiastical authority. They usually pertain to Christian views of family, marriage, and societal norms, and how they should be conducted. Ah, and I bet the Jesuits had some particular ideas about that. They did indeed, and Weishaupt was not very happy about them. While there, he grew increasingly annoyed with the favoritism of clerical professors, or professors related to the clergy. Weishaupt was the only non-clerical and non-Jesuit there. He felt he was at a significant disadvantage to the Jesuits who controlled both the school and much of the society outside of the university. At the same time, Weishaupt wasn't appreciated by the Jesuits either. 
They didn't care for his free thinking or his outspokenness in regard to their restrictiveness on politics and religion. Of course, the Jesuits had their own share of problems. Rumors of corruption and power grabbing were rampant. By the 1760s, much of Europe was on a path of suppressing the Jesuits and their hold on educational institutions. The Jesuits themselves were disbanded from Ingolstadt in 1773. And while the Jesuits' hold on the University of Ingolstadt was weakening, they still held considerable influence, much to Weishaupt's chagrin. Still, while the Jesuits disdained Weishaupt, he was quite popular among his students. Many met periodically in his quarters to discuss the hot topics of religion, philosophy, and issues of the day. They even smoked cannabis cigarettes. Mm, he sounds like that cool professor everyone wanted to hang out with in college. Exactly. Weishaupt wanted to be free from religion and its shackles on society. He wanted to create a republic where good ultimately won over the need for secular devotion and promote equality to all free men. Filled with social and political vigor, Weishaupt eventually sought to join a Masonic or Freemason lodge of Munich. He had heard of their leanings towards Enlightenment thinking and hoped he'd find more like-minded individuals who supported his dreams. He was admitted in 1774. He was 26 years old. While he found like-minded individuals in terms of believing in Enlightenment tenets, none of the Freemasons seemed to follow his radical thoughts. Weishaupt was also annoyed by the openness of the society. Much of the information regarding Freemasons was open to the educated if you looked hard enough in libraries or asked other Freemason members. Weishaupt wanted something more mysterious and clandestinely secular. For the next two years, Weishaupt searched the Freemasons for others who thought like him, until finally he had enough and decided to start his own Masonic Lodge. He sought out members in his students, young, malleable men who were educated and fairly well off. He found his first four members in Max Edler von Mertz, Andreas Suter, a man simply named Bauhoff, and Anton von Massenhausen. Together, they decided to create their own secret order based off of the Freemason system, but one where they could further push their anti-clerical and anti-Jesuit agenda. So on May 1st, 1776, Weishaupt formed the Der Perfectibilisten, or Covenant of Perfectibility. Weishaupt immediately set to work on developing an ancient history and hierarchy for his new mysterious order. For two years, Weishaupt struggled to develop the background for his Covenant of Perfectibility. Looking for inspiration, he decided to join a different Freemason Lodge. The goal was to learn the Lodge's secrets and apply them to his own secret order. So, in February of 1777, he joined yet another Masonic Lodge, Lodge Prudence. Weishaupt had been told that the Freemasons' secrets came from the knowledge of older religions and ancient rites, rites still practiced at Lodge Prudence. He hoped he'd rise high enough through the ranks and learn about these secret rituals. So, let's back up a bit. What exactly are these rites or rituals that the Freemasons practiced? Rites or rituals were ceremonies held by the Freemasons, often read from ancient scriptures or readings from various religious texts, such as the Bible, Talmud, even the Quran. 
These ceremonies were mostly used for indoctrination, bringing new members into different lodges or levels of the Freemasons. There were numerous rites practiced differently, depending on the lodges too. Sometimes a ritual would also be the name of a group within the Freemasons. One example was the organization called the Rite of Strict Observance. Originally a Scottish rite, or organization, it was brought over to Germany by Karl Gotthelf von Hund. Members in the Rite of Observance follow strict codes of discipline and regulation while also promoting homogeneity. That, coupled with the group's even heavier leanings to Enlightenment ideas, made it quite popular among the German Masons, and attracted Weishaupt in particular. Weishaupt also chose to go through the rite of observance practiced at Lodge Prudence. Sure enough, Weishaupt was able to infiltrate the group. He took down notes on their systems, various rites and rituals, and different levels. Weishaupt used the system of grades from the Freemasons as a foundation to build his own secret order. In the Illuminati, initiates were called insuinats. They would have to pass several tests and learn secret passwords and phrases to advance to the next levels. Like the Freemasons, the Illuminati had three levels. Novice, Minerval, then finally Illuminated Minerval. On top of all this was Weishaupt and his original founding members. They were called the Areopagus or Areopagites. They would rule the Illuminati and operate under secret names. These names were to be used during ceremonies and written correspondences. For them, Weishaupt chose to pull from Greek and Roman mythology and history. Weishaupt's alter ego was Spartacus, the former gladiator who rose up and fought to free slaves and destroy the Roman Republic. This points to the idea of how Weishaupt saw himself as a liberator, freeing his fellow man from the shackles of Catholicism. The other members took on similar names from Greek and Roman mythology, and while the group had secret names, they still needed goals, structure, standards, more of a system to keep them together and attract more members. As 1777 moved into 1778, Weishaupt continued to play with the name of the Order of Perfectionability. Most members of the group found the name dumb, along with their nickname, the Perfectibilists. Uh, yeah, that name would be a tough sell. Agreed. His other option wasn't much better. The Bee Club. The Bee Club? The reasoning behind it was that the bee tied back to the Freemasons. The Masons and their lodges were often referred to as hives, and their internal disputes as swarms or swarming. It also ties back to Greek mythology, with honey being a divine product of the gods. The divine product in this case being knowledge. Lucky for Weishaupt, he came up with a much better name. Der Illuminaten Norden, or the Order of the Illuminated Ones, or simply the Bavarian Illuminati. As you can imagine, everyone liked that name much more. So with that, the Illuminati were officially born in April of 1778. With a more satisfying name settled upon, the Bavarian Illuminati began to build its goals and mythology. Their official goal was to oppose superstition, obscurantism, religious influence over public life, and abuses of state power. Weishaupt has been quoted saying, Order of the day is to put an end to the machinations of the purveyors of injustice, to control without dominating them. 
sounds uh, slightly ominous. Another goal of the Illuminati, however, was to control and steer the world clandestinely. Here is where Weishaupt placed emphasis on secrecy. His reasoning was that if his group remained anonymous, they could never be destroyed or ousted from power. In the meantime, Weishaupt also had to contend with the other members of his society. At this point, they were still little more than a club, only containing five members, including Weishaupt. But even that number seemed to fluctuate. Having barely been a group for more than a year, Weishaupt kicked out Suter due to indolence or laziness. While Weishaupt got rid of Suter, another Illuminati member, Massenhausen took charge of getting new members. He was the first to actively recruit other than Weishaupt. Well, thanks to him, the Illuminati expanded their ranks from five members to 12. He even brought the society's soon-to-be second-in-command, Xavier von Zwack, codenamed Cato. Von Zwack was another former pupil of Weishaupt, and at the time of his recruitment was in charge of the Bavarian National Lottery. Like Massenhausen, von Zwack set out to expand the Illuminati's ranks. He strived to recruit not just from the University of Ingolstadt, but from all over Bavaria and the German states. Weishaupt was impressed and decided to name von Zwack his second-in-command. This, however, didn't sit well with Massenhausen. With Zwack's ascension, Massenhausen began to slack on his duties. His choice of candidates were not as carefully screened as they once were. So much so that Weishaupt, on multiple occasions, chastised Massenhausen for it. Massenhausen also had a turbulent love life, falling in and out of relationships. This debauchery didn't sit well with Weishaupt. In Weishaupt's mind, this wasn't the way a gentleman or distinguished member of the order should conduct himself. To make matters worse, Weishaupt found out that Massenhausen had misappropriated funds and subscriptions from the society for his own benefit. Finally, Weishaupt forced Massenhausen out of the group. This gave von Zwack more room to work and leeway with finding suitable candidates. But how were candidates selected? What was their criterion to be a member of the Bavarian Illuminati? Did it have to do with being a part of a secret bloodline? Not exactly. As with most secret societies, it was a boys-only club. There was no bloodline requirement, but there were other criterion members had to meet. They had to be between the ages of 18 and 30, be of good moral character, be disciplined, and be Christian. Seems odd that a society that prided itself on wanting to be free of religious shackles wanted Christians. Do they not want members of other religions? Nope. Weishaupt wouldn't accept you as a member if you were affiliated to paganism, Judaism, were a practicing monk, or other kind of religion outside of the Christian demographic. Some illuminated society. It was definitely hypocritical, especially given the fact that Weishaupt was once Jewish himself. But Weishaupt wasn't known for his kindness or good nature. For all of his preaching of Enlightenment ideas, Weishaupt rarely put them into practice within his own organization. Weishaupt was very dictatorial when it came to running the Illuminati. The tests within the Illuminati were very restrictive. Members had to recite tedious monologues and write long essays that adhered to Weishaupt's ideas of enlightenment and freedom. There was no room for deviation or outside thought. He once told Vac that when it came to initiates, we cannot use people as they are, 
but must begin by making them over. Weishaupt viewed his secret order as an elite society, saying many of their rituals and secret knowledge were above the comprehension of common minds. This elitism often got him into fights with other members, including his right-hand man, von Zwack. Yet even with Weishaupt's hypocritical and tyrannical rule, people continued to flock to the Illuminati and its ideas. Weishaupt's secret society was growing. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. And now back to the story. By the end of 1778, two years after their birth, the Illuminati grew from 12 members to 27. This was mostly due to the work of Adam Weishaupt's new second-in-command, Xavier von Zwack. Von Zwack had been a student of Weishaupt's, but was also of noble blood. It was thanks to his bloodline and his position in charge of the Bavarian National Lottery that von Zwack was able to bring in members of high society. One of his biggest recruits was Jakob Anton Hertle, another professor of canon law at Ingolstadt, but who also had close ties to the Munich Frauenkirche Cathedral. This was the Roman Catholic center for power in Bavarian Germany. As such, Hertla could gather intel regarding the church's intentions and agenda towards the Freemasons and other secret societies. Another big recruit was Count Thaddeus von Dürren und Taxis, who ran the imperial postal system in the Habsburg-controlled Holy Roman Empire. This made him privy to all correspondences, as mail was ordered to be opened and inspected before delivery. This allowed the Illuminati to track current events and stay one step ahead of their enemies. But their recruitment didn't just center around outside individuals. The Illuminati were snatching up members of the Freemasons themselves. One such member was Constantine Marquis de Costanzo, a court counselor in Munich. Yet even with their rapid expansion, the Illuminati were able to maintain their secrecy. No one outside of the Freemasons had heard of them, and to the Freemasons themselves, they were but a whisper. So, were the Illuminati active members in the Freemasons as well? Yes. You have to understand, Weishaupt still needed the Freemasons in order to build his mythology. So, he looked to attract members within the Freemasons to join the Illuminati. Once they were in, Weishaupt instructed them to continue participating in Freemason activity and gather intelligence. The goal was to infiltrate the Freemasons, learn all their secrets, and eventually supplant them as the premier secret order. Quite devious indeed. Yeah, I can see how future conspiracy theories speak frequently of the Illuminati's ability to infiltrate organizations of power. No kidding. Weishaupt was overjoyed with their growing domination of the Freemasons. He even considered an immediate, complete, and total hostile takeover and revealing the Bavarian Illuminati to the world. Von Zwack, however, convinced Weishaupt to keep relations friendly with the Freemasons, 
as to avoid losing members until they were large enough. So, von Zwack and Weishaupt opted to split off from Lodge Prudence and start their own Freemason Lodge, Lodge Theodore of Good Counsel. Given a warrant by the Grand Lodge of York, Weishaupt established Lodge Theodore of Good Counsel in Munich on March 21, 1779. Lodge Theodore became a false Freemason Lodge, a front to lure more Freemasons into joining the Illuminati. Once he acquired enough members, Weishaupt hoped to gain independence from the Freemasons and to turn Lodge Theodore solely into an Illuminati lodge. By the end of 1779, the Illuminati had complete control of Lodge Theodore's membership and had infiltrated most lodges in Germany. But with the rapid expansion of the Illuminati, Weishaupt and von Zwack needed help managing and recruiting more members. Lucky for them, a new member had just joined Lodge Theodore with high hopes of reforming the Freemasons, Adolf Freiherr Kniga. Born October 16, 1752, in the electorate of Hanover, Kniga had grown up fascinated with theosophy, occultism, alchemy, and magic. From 1769 to 1772, he studied law in Göttingen, where he was initiated into the Freemason order of strict observance. Kniga had joined the Freemasons with the hopes of learning more about their secret society. He had also hoped to bring about reform to the order, to essentially streamline it with efficiency, but his ideas were rejected and Kniga felt disenfranchised. However, he did catch the eye of Weishaupt. Weishaupt had Kniga brought to him. He wanted Kniga to build the mythology for higher levels of the Illuminati. Kniga quickly accepted the challenge. He had always been fascinated with the occult and unseen benefactors. Now he had a chance to create the mysteries he had always wanted to solve as a child. Kniga was given the task of becoming the new main recruiter for the Illuminati. At first, he struggled with recruiting due to the lack of information about the Illuminati. As such, Kniga had to create a whole new marketing plan to attract new members, while simultaneously building the Illuminati ancient history. While it's unknown what exactly their mythology entailed, we do know Kniga used much of the Freemasons' mythology to influence it, as well as Legends of the Knights Templar, a clandestine military order under the Catholic Church during the Crusades, and esoteric teachings of the Kabbalah and other monotheistic religions. Weishaupt made sure that whatever Kniga wrote down was tied back into his ideas of rationalism, seeking truth and using it to steer the world towards the betterment of humanity. These ideas were paramount to Weishaupt and his doctrine. Kniga also did a good job of reorganizing the Illuminati order itself. By January of 1782, he introduced three classes that combined old and new levels of membership. For each level, you would have to pass a test, granting greater access to the Illuminati's ancient knowledge. Think of it like Scientology, where the higher up you go, the more secrets you get. But to get people to join, Kniga still had to fix the recent recruiting stagnation. To remedy this, he suggested two things. One, stop using universities as their main recruiting ground, as this meant most of their members were young and inexperienced. And two, avoid anti-Jesuit and anti-religious ethos, as that alienated older generations. 
While Weishaupt wasn't happy about seeking Jesuit and other religious members, he had to admit that some of the recruitment had stalled, especially within the Freemasonry. This also made it harder to recruit outside of Germany. Weishaupt finally relented and gave Kaniga essentially free reign to recruit however he saw fit. Kaniga's suggestions proved invaluable to the Illuminati. Not only did their membership grow exponentially, but they were able to absorb other Freemason lodges and older members. One such member was Baron de Witte, along with all the members of his lodge, Constancy Lodge in Aachen. Kaniga also recruited some major players of the era, including Duke Ferdinand of Brunswick, Duke Ernst II of Gotha, and writer and poet Johann Wolfgang Goethe. By spring of 1782, the Illuminati had spread all throughout the central and southern German lodges. They even started to move into the Austrian Freemason lodges. It was like a virus. Soon, the Illuminati had over 300 members, and only 20 of them were young students from Ingolstadt. Kaniga had done his job, and done it well. It was thanks to Kaniga's aggressive and successful marketing tactics that the Illuminati finally had enough clout to break away from the Freemasons. It was time for the Illuminati to stand on their own. In an open letter to the Grand Lodge of Royal York in England, Weishaupt and his lodge denounced Royal York, stating grievances of failing to protect its members, as well as provide adequate information pertaining to sacred rituals. So in June of 1782, Lodge Theodore broke away from the Freemasons entirely, becoming the first Illuminati Lodge. Thus, the Illuminati were now completely independent from the Freemasons. It seemed as if the Illuminati were finally coming into their own. Sadly, their rule would be brief, and within a few short years, the organization would crumble. The Illuminati had just broken away from its Freemason masters and was now an independent organization and still growing. But while the Illuminati was growing, the Freemasons were dealing with internal disputes. Within the Freemason organization, the right of strict observance, a schism had grown over how the group should be conducted. It was debated between the mystics and Martinists within the order. The Martinists were a form of Christian mystics associated with the fall of man, material privation, his divine source, and his reintegration or illumination to God. In the end, the rite of strict observance broke apart after holding a convention in Wilhelmsbad on July 16, 1782. Much of the strict code that appealed to the Germans was removed and replaced by Martinist doctrines. Most of the lodges went their separate ways, never to associate with each other again. While this spelled doom for the rite of strict observance, the Illuminati leapt at the chance to scavenge the disaffected lodges. Charles of Hesse Castle and Christoph Bode brought their lodges into the fold of the Illuminati by early 1783. Kaniga suggested an alliance with the separated Germanic lodges in the form of a federation. The Federation was based on a unified system of three essential degrees and the ability to choose their own system of higher levels. Weishaupt agreed to the Federation, but only so the Illuminati could further infiltrate and usurp power. 
Weishaupt printed a circular to be sent to the remaining German lodges. The pamphlet spoke of the corruption of Freemasonry, how its leaders were elected based on wealth, it was ruled by decadence, and was corrupted by Jesuit and other religious influences. This did more harm than good for the Illuminati. Most lodges found the Illuminati to be a young, boisterous group with no real clout. Furthermore, many Germans felt the Federation was simply an alliance of Martinists designed to stamp out the mystics. Only the Grand Lodge of the Grand Orient of Warsaw participated in lower degrees of the Federation. Still, even with the failure to attract more lodges with the Federation, the Illuminati succeeded in infiltrating seven more lodges by the end of January 1783. For the rest of the year, German mystics who felt alienated by the Martinist rites joined the Illuminati, if only for the familiarity of what the rite of strict observance once was. By 1784, the Illuminati had over 650 verified members. Though Weishaupt claimed that number was well over 2,500, as he counted non-Illuminati lodges whose leaders were Illuminati members. Even with the delusion of grandeur, Weishaupt's secret order acquired some highly prestigious members, including Karl August, the Grand Duke of Saxe-Weimar-Eisenach, Ernst II, the Duke of Saxe-Gotha-Altenburg, and his brother, Karl Theodore Anton von Dahlberg, and Duke Ferdinand of Brunswick-Wolfenbüttel, who was also a former Freemason, and his chief assistant in Masonic matters, Johann Friedrich von Schabers. The Illuminati didn't stop there, either. They soon recruited major political figures in the areas such as chancellors, ambassadors, governors, and ministers. The Illuminati were everywhere and finally in positions of power. It seemed Weishaupt's dreams were coming to fruition after nearly a decade of work. But as the Illuminati grew, so too did people's knowledge of them. Another secret society at the time that slowly grew concerned with the Illuminati were the Rosicrucians. They were a cultural movement that arose around the early 17th century and, like most other secret societies, claimed to be searching for hidden truths of the universe through an esoteric and secret order. They were also anti-clerical, yet they avoided rationalism and clung much closer to esoteric mysticism, something Weishaupt was never really a fan of. To attract members, the Rosicrucians used specially engineered rooms and parlor tricks to convince their patrons they had magic powers. And as the Illuminati were absorbing lodges, so too were the Rosicrucians. Much like the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians were strong in Germany, yet flew pretty low under the radar. Weishaupt himself, while aware of them, tended to avoid them as he despised much of their practices toward ancient religion. Kaniga, however, found their order fascinating and hoped to slowly infiltrate them to learn more. As such, he invited some to join the Illuminati, much to Weishaupt's chagrin. Unbeknownst to both men, the Rosicrucians were already plotting the Illuminati's downfall. They made a devastating blow to the Illuminati in absorbing the oldest and most prestigious Freemason Lodge in Germany, the Three Globes Grand National Mother Lodge. With the Three Globes Lodge, the Rosicrucians used their connections with the Freemasons to denounce the Illuminati. They called them anarchists and anti-religious revolutionaries touting extreme liberalism and Socinianism. 
Thanks to their efforts, they were able to halt the Illuminati from spreading further in Tyrol, Austria. As the Rosicrucians fought the Illuminati, Weishaupt was once again causing trouble within his own high council. The Areopagites, the top-level group who had been running the Illuminati, were slowly being replaced by provincial leaders from other lodges. When they complained, Weishaupt slandered them through private letters. Kniga and Weishaupt also grew contentious of one another. Weishaupt didn't approve of Kniga's inclination toward mysticism, nor the amount of power he now had within the order. Things finally came to a head when Weishaupt confronted Kniga about the ritual for becoming one of the highest grades, priest. Weishaupt wanted Kniga to rewrite the ritual, claiming members were not a fan of it. Kniga countered that, saying doing so would discredit the ritual as being an ancient rite. Weishaupt didn't care and threatened to discredit him by revealing he had made up the ritual entirely. Enraged, Kniga threatened to reveal to the world how much of the Illuminati order was, in fact, made up, and made up by Kniga nonetheless, proving the Illuminati was merely a club spreading falsehoods. The men argued until finally Kniga left the Illuminati order on July 1, 1784. This marked the beginning of the end for the Illuminati. The final days of the Illuminati began shortly after Kniga left. Though Weishaupt commanded tight lips, the growing number of people to manage seemed hard to bear. Pretty soon, the Illuminati and its members were becoming common knowledge. People were starting to recognize who was in the order and, worse yet, what the order stood for. Further spurred by slanderous denouncements by the Rosicrucians, the Bavarian Illuminati soon became public enemy number one. People were worried the Illuminati were seeking to cause anarchy by destroying religion and all its values. One individual who took particular concern with the Illuminati's growth was Duke Karl Theodore of Bavaria. News had gotten back to him from several defectors of the Illuminati, along with testimony from the Rosicrucians, that the Illuminati sought a coup against the royal Habsburg family of Austria. While the Illuminati sought infiltration into places of power to control society, there were no specific plans made to do so. There was especially no violent coup planned. Still, Duke Theodore had heard enough. So, on March 2, 1785, Duke Theodore banned all secret societies from Bavaria and arrested anyone in connection with the Illuminati. Weishaupt and many others were forced to flee Bavaria, leaving behind their books and materials pertaining to the order. Zwack was arrested and all of his materials confiscated in 1786. These documents were published in 1787, further implicating Weishaupt, Zwack, Kniga, and other members of the Illuminati. Weishaupt settled in Gotha, Germany, thanks to the help of Duke Ernest II, the Duke of Saxe-Gotha-Altenburg. There, he spent the remainder of his days as the remnants of his secret society were hunted down, shamed, and imprisoned. For the next decade, Weishaupt would publish extensive volumes based on the philosophy and history of the Illuminati, such as in A Picture of Illuminism and An Improved System of Illuminism. Sadly, these books were lost to time. Eventually, Weishaupt himself fell into obscurity before finally dying in 1830 of old age. 
The Illuminati movement as a whole also seemed to die out as no official members or organizations seemed to succeed that of the original. For all intents and purposes, the Illuminati were dead. Well, there you have it. The history of the Bavarian Illuminati. Not quite what you were expecting, was it, Carter? Not in the slightest. Who knew that tiny club born out of the Freemasons in Germany would grow into a pop cultural staple over some 300 years? And to think, we haven't even touched on the conspiracy theories yet. I know. Well, next time, we'll dive into how, despite being dissolved, the Illuminati continued to influence the world, serving as inspiration for modern conspiracy theories. We'll also continue to look at how the mythology of the Illuminati continued to grow until they became the default go-to villains for conspiracy theorists. And, of course, we'll talk about some of the most popular conspiracy theories related to the Illuminati, how they've been pulling the strings behind major world events, who the modern-day Illuminati members are, and their association to 13 specific bloodlines. Finally, how they seek to control us all through the New World Order conspiracy. It'll be a lot to cover, but a lot of fun. So buckle up and get your tinfoil hats ready. Until then, I'm Molly Brandenburg. And I'm Carter Roy. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you want to hear more Conspiracy Theories, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Tune in, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. Tell us your favorite Conspiracy Theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. And remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Joel Stein and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Michael Pendis and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. <laughs>